Podcast Network Asia. First Metrosec is providing this podcast as a general market commentary. Reference to any specific security, product, or entity do not constitute as an offer or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments or to participate in any particular trading strategy. The statements, comments, views, or opinions expressed by the hosts are subject to change without notice and First Metrosec is under no obligation to update, amend, change, or correct any of the statements, comments, views, or opinions expressed. The statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed by the guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the view of First Metrosec. First Metrosec disclaims any liability arising from reliance on or reference to any information obtained in this podcast. You are listening to First Metro Securities Philippine Stock Market Weekly Podcast, where we feature timely and relevant discussions on the Philippine stock market and the economy in the hope of providing you investing and trading guidance. Here's your host, Royce Aguilar, from the Research Department at First Metro Sec. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of First Metro Securities Philippine Stock Market Weekly. We have a special guest today. But before that, I would like to discuss the following. Of course, later we'll talk about um, our guest in terms of how he is helping a lot of small investors outperform this market, right? This type of market environment, the way you outperform. How do you do that? Well, we have a lot of questions related to that. But since we're talking about how to outperform or how to imbibe or the best practices in this type of market. Let's discuss the performance of the PSEI and each of the sectors as well as the different global asset classes in the past five years. So when talking about Philippines, for example, this is as of end 2017 until end 2022, so basically 2018 to 2022, right? So if you take a look at the PSEI alone, it's down by actually 23% in the past five years. Right. If you take a look at each sectors, it's it's distributed equally mostly, right? So you, you see the financials down by 26%, industrial 16%, holding firms 25%, property 26%, mining and oil just 6%. But if you take a look at the services, it's actually flat, specifically up by nearly 1%, right? If you take a look at the breakdown of the performance of the past five years, see ICT and Globe are actually up the past five years compared to the other names. If you take a look at the U.S. markets, Dow Jones up by 34%, S&P up by 43%, and NASDAQ up by 51%. If you take a look at the EU, the Eurostox 50 up by 8%, and across the other Asian markets, see Hong Kong down by 33%, Shanghai down by 65 Korea down by 9.3%, and Nikkei, Japan's actually up by 14.6%. How about the other asset classes? Gold is actually up by 40% in the past five years. Oil is up by 32%. For coal, 300%. But keep in mind that the coal last 2022 ended the year at 400 US dollars, no average. But since then, it pulled back to 170 level. So if, if literally 2018 till now, around 70% down. If you take a look at nickel, up by 136%. Of course, for reference, Bitcoin up by 29%. If you add the 70% outperformance this year, approximately 100% up in the past five years, right? So now, let me introduce our guest. So he has 
30 years of experience in economics, in industry and company analysis, valuation, portfolio construction and execution and client management, recognize long-term track record of number one in the management of equity funds. He has also experienced in generating investment ideas, developing, formulating, and implementing strategies, managing risks, and remaining resilient when faced with poorly performing financial markets, like right now. So just to mention some of his accomplishments, he was ranked number one in the Philippines in categories, one, three, five returns in actively managed equity mutual funds in terms of what he was managing at that time. And the 2010 return of the equity fund that he managed recorded 63% or much higher than the rise of the PSEI index of 37% for that year. So just to mention also, he was the equity portfolio manager for one of the largest institutional investors in the Philippines. Funds manage over 60 billion pesos plus lang naman. And he also authored the online journal blog Decoding Investments for the largest insurance company in the Philippines. He's also educated clients and client-facing advisors on investing in the Philippine stock market. He also headed the research department of one of the largest local brokerage in the Philippines. And he delivered forecasts on inflation, interest rates, and exchange rates for the country's leading economic think tank. So if you think we see the wide range of experience there. But let's talk about recently. So since August 2022, all investors that he helped no, are making money except this one portfolio lang na losing just hundreds of pesos. But if we take a look at the money-weighted return of the worst-performing portfolio, which started on March 1, 2023, the PSA was at 6,601, so 10% per annum as of March 7, 2023. The best-performing, which was started on December 14, 2022, when the PSA was at 6,615 is 89% per annum. So for clarity, diba, kung money-weighted, probably he'll elaborate later, but for money-weighted return, it's an annualized return that indicates what investment would return over a period if the annual return were compounded. So currently, diba, ang dami experience ni, ni, uh, ni Sir, but currently, he's an independent investment advisor where he helps small investors in economics, diba? Yun nga, as mentioned kanina, company valuation industry analysis. Right? So, let me welcome to our episode, Mr. Juni Banag. Hey, hi, Sir Juni. Welcome to our uh, uh, podcast program, Sir. Hey, Royce. Hi. Uh, thank you for the very warm and uh, long intro. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope uh, we have time for the many questions that you have. And uh, yes, yes, I'm quite excited to be here. Thank you for the invite. Let's uh, push on. Let's get started. So thank you, Mr. Juni. So first question, as mentioned in the intro, remaining resilient when financial markets are performing poorly is one of your mission or teachings to the small investors. Can you elaborate on this? Thanks for that question. And uh, I, I like what you said there, mission or purpose. No. So let me define resilient this way. No. Uh, to me, it means achieving a positive investment return, no, even when stock prices in general are down. You can't have a positive return if all stocks are down. So some of them are up, even if most of them are down. So over an acceptable period, you'd want your portfolio to be uh, positive. No, Expectedly, in the short run, it's reasonable for investors to expect a loss. We know that uh, at any point in time, stock prices are the result of uh, supply and demand. No? It's really as simple as that. No? Those who are selling stocks today, they probably believe that inflation will not fall very fast. 
or that the economy will slow in a uh, in a big way no there's right. also momentum so both these uh, mood or expectations and momentum uh, that uh, in those uh, influence demand and supply and yes it's important remaining resilient means making money over an acceptable period of time and uh, it's not you or me determines what acceptable is no we know that it's right. the investor who determines what is acceptable or not acceptable all right so in the in the us sir follow up question in the us for example there are a lot more assets that are not correlated to equities that investors can use as a hedge there's also shortening so that when the market is trending downward you can make money off it right so in the philippines how do you specifically remain resilient when financial markets are performing poorly so go ahead sir right yes shorting yeah it's going to be more be more complicated if we had shorting in the philippines so i'm not sure i welcome shorting <laughs> but for now i think if you have a portfolio and because there's no shorting you could uh, do it in a specific way you know? we should emphasize that before you invest you need to know a lot of things and i will enumerate them so first you need to know which companies earn out of their capital 15%. I say 15 because as we know if you have 15 or 14.8% a year in 5 years you'd be able to double their capital and you'd hope that you're in a company who can double their capital sooner rather than later, no. We know that these companies have moats quote unquote it's not a new term around their incomes they have a high barriers to entry they have a sizable share of the market probably the lowest cost of production if not at least a very competitive uh, cost uh, of operation and uh, you have a high cost of switching all these prevent others to get into the market or it limits the competition and importantly uh, these companies who have moats they're able to increase their revenues without compromising their returns on invested capital or ROIC so we'll uh, this metric return on invested capital or ROIC will be mentioning this uh, very often so we will observe that high ROICs are not always accompanied by positive investment returns right. uh, that that's that's not uh, you know always the case however we also know that companies with high ROICs uh, the simple uh, definition or formula for uh, ROICs uh, your net operating income after tax uh, as a share to your uh, operating assets no right uh, so if you have a high ROIC the more likely you create value than those companies with low ROIC so it's a likelihood so you want to be in good company no hence you want to prioritize or focus on companies with high ROIC. So that's the first. The second and there are many things you need to know. The second being uh, you'd like companies who report rising operating incomes most of the time. In reality not all companies or it's not all the time that uh, companies report rising operating incomes. But we know the operating incomes add value to their stocks, no? and especially if the incomes are greater than the cost of capital the values of these stocks increase no right. and inevitably 
sooner or later their market prices follow. Uh, also noteworthy, no? uh, if you have rising operating incomes, that will shorten the acceptable period of time, which we mentioned earlier. Investors want right. uh, money sooner rather than later. So if we're saying that uh, incomes follow, or rather stock prices follow incomes, then the more often operating incomes rise, the sooner stock prices uh, will follow. So you have the third, uh, you need to know which companies have cash left after paying the banks and reinvesting in working capital or fixed assets. We are uh, common shareholders you know, when we, we buy stocks. As a common shareholder, we have the last priority over income. The first priority right. that belongs to banks, bondholders, and preferred shareholders, they have the priority. Fourth, you need to know which stocks are trading below or above their intrinsic or monetary value. This is not easy. That's uh, the, the simple reason is uh, not everyone, and probably it's only a minority who would have an estimate of the monetary value of a stock. Why do we need uh, that number? Uh, simply put, you need to know what you are buying or selling. Uh, if you don't, the seller from whom you are buying from or the buyer, to whom you are selling to, uh, he may have an advantage over the price at which you are buying or selling. And then last but not least, you need to know which benchmark is appropriate. If your investment objective is to make money, and I suppose that is the investment objective of everyone, the appropriate benchmark is that which is positive all the time. And you probably know that already. That can only be inflation or interest from fixed income instruments, whichever is higher. Got it. Thank, thank you, Sir Juni. So a lot of a lot to actually get from that answer alone, right? <laughs> yes. So, I must you need to know which companies earn out of their capital. Fifteen percent every year. Dapat magdouble in five years. Yes. Right? Tapos second rising operating income because for a lot of investors they're looking at the headlines. Like headlines sa mga news. Yes. So net income lang yun usually. So what Sir Juni said is rising operating income. And then third, you need to know which companies have cash left after paying the banks. Kasi as a common shareholder, we're like we're the last priority. Mm-hmm. And then fourth, trading below or above their intrinsic monetary value. And then lastly, you need to know which benchmark is appropriate. This is actually important because diba, a, a lot of investors are basing sa PSEI or a loan, the value. So at the mm. end of the day, positive yung goal. So next question, sir, in all things in life, to be able to succeed, the preparation is key. So I would like to ask you, how you prepare before executing a trade? Do you have any to-do list or things you must know before you put money into a specific asset? Uh, right. Uh, yes, uh, preparation before taking risk. Remember, when you're buying stock, you are actually taking risk. It's a small risk if it's a small money and it doesn't, uh, you know, alter, influence uh, your lifestyle. But you want to make money just the same. So, yes, I have a to-do list. I I, I don't have it uh, in front of me. <laughs> Probably through the years, I've, uh, I've uh, as you have said, uh, imbibed it already, you know. Uh, but before I share this, uh, please allow me to add to my long answer to your previous question of what you should know. No? So 
to put more flesh into the answer to the first question, or rather the previous question, you should know that uh, of the 285 stocks that trade at the PSE, only nine companies report ROICs of at least 15% year in and year out. Now, that's, that's not a lot. Um, and it's, uh, it would be a better operating or investing environment if you had more than nine. No? And then of the nine, eight recorded positive investment returns in the last five years. As you mentioned, it's not been a good five years for us. On a per annum basis, that loss uh, trans- that you mentioned translates to about 4% a year for all shares at the PSE. So eight of these nine companies recorded positive investment returns. No? The additional info is that the ROICs of companies at the PSE is just 4.2%. And then you should know that there are only 20 companies whose operating incomes grow 75% of the time. You should know that there are as many as 40 companies that need to pay interest above or greater than operating income or not financially healthy. No? And then you should know that there are offer prices. Uh, these offer prices at the PSE, six out of every seven are higher than how much is needed to capitalize, quote-unquote, or fund the company's operations, meaning uh, you're actually buying them at a premium. As a uh, secondary or rather buying common shares from the market, it's a secondary market, Uh, the shares got there through an IPO, you're taking over the capital of someone who had that capital uh, before you bought it. He may have bought it at a lower price. But now you're buying it at a price that, because it's higher, it's a premium because the company doesn't need that much money to fund its operations. Or for most of the time, you're actually buying it higher than the book value or net right. worth of the company. Correct. So my, uh, yeah. so my uh, to, to answer your question, uh, the list includes the following. Uh, it's... Probably, you know, the, the list can lengthen, uh, but it cannot uh, shorten. No? But it should include, uh, one, invest in companies that are likely to create value. Uh, stock prices rise as value is enhanced or increases. No? So we, you can't expect stock prices to go up if the values are stagnant or are uh, reducing. Number two, invest in companies whose operating incomes are likely to rise. So again, you want to shorten your holding period, even if you are getting in there and assuming that you'll need to be there for the next three years at least. Three, invest in companies where there will be cash left for the common shareholder. Uh, this is uh, rather easy, a metric to to access. Uh, one metric could be your uh, uh, Interest cover, or yes, yeah. uh, so that that's easy to find. And then fourth, invest in companies where the intrinsic values are higher than their market prices. Yep. All right. So I think you mentioned this earlier. Do you have any strict rules that you follow in terms of stocks invest on, such as besides earnings that you mentioned earlier, like? Mm-hmm. management, companies who follow prioritize ESG and the like. Yeah. 
Yes, uh, you could say there are strict l- rules that uh, I follow. So what I know about stock markets, how they work and how they don't work, uh, that has helped formulate these rules. Uh, it's likewise important to be aware that if one decides not to follow this rule, you know, the risk is higher. You know? They are strict rules because they put boundaries within which you want to operate. If you want to operate outside of that boundary, you simply need to be aware that you are taking on a higher risk. So you mentioned in relation to earnings, these need not grow double digit per annum if they are growing fast enough and creating value. So one simple example would be uh, if interest rates are falling, even if earnings are rising less than double digit, it helps already that the cost of capital is falling, hence the value of the stock is rising. So it doesn't need to be double digit, but uh, yeah, we'd love double digits. And then uh, reputable management, yeah, that's a must. Uh, Credibility, uh, belief of the market and management, We've seen that in companies that have been, uh, you know, sold to other shareholders and now they're doing very well because the new shareholder appears to be uh, reputable. And then finally, companies need not prioritize ESG. I have nothing against ESG. Mm-hmm. Uh, so need not prioritize that one if doing so will destroy rather than uh, create value. Understood. Understood. That makes sense. Next question, sir, is I understand that those part of a big fund management firm, the Badishia, Bloomberg Terminals, etc., where updated data are well consolidated. Mm-hmm. So for those investors who don't have that type of technology at their disposal, how do you filter information? Where do you recommend they look for data? Do you have data sources that you recommend to small investors? Go ahead. Right. Yeah. So my go-to data is uh, Bloomberg. Not for any special reason. I've uh, worked with Bloomberg for a very, very long time. And hence, having seen the uh, death of the uh, information there, it has helped a lot. That is my go-to source. And I would recommend uh, all investors to go to Bloomberg. No? You may be able to filter the same information without Bloomberg. That's quite possible. But the buyer or seller who has access to Bloomberg, I think, may be able to filter faster or more efficiently than you can. Great. Thank you. Thank you for that. No? So, if you use Bloomberg. No? So, for our listeners who want to be exposed to other than local equities, how would you advise them to allocate their investments? So, perhaps... You can mention your preferred allocation among local foreign equities, local foreign bonds. Mm-hmm. 60-40 allocation between stocks and bonds has been the norm. Is it still applicable nowadays or does it depend on per investor appetite and the age of the investor? Yeah, you, you have to be confident about the prospects of the stocks that you invest in. So I'm, 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 I'm uh, you know, for the stocks that uh, I suggest, I'm confident about them. Over time, investors in high ROIC companies, I think, will achieve returns that approximate the ROIC themselves. No, so if it's 15 or 20 percent, 
I think over time, that's going to be the investment return that uh, investors will enjoy. So, you know, you talk about yields from bonds. I think they are what they are. But if I consider the resiliency of the stocks that I advise investors to invest in, I would advise as much as 100% investing in local stocks. Uh, I like the depth and breadth of the U.S. stock market. There are many, much more uh, number of uh, companies in the U.S. where the ROIC is higher than 15%. But I find most of them, uh, probably 99% of them, expensive already. I guess the result of a quantitative easing that's been going on for many, many years. The outlook there is less inviting than the local stock market, I think. Uh, Not everyone needs to agree with that. But I think the local market is looking better these days. So as a rule, the lower the risk appetite or the more advanced in age, the less one should invest in stocks. So yes, this uh, rule still applies. Got it. Thank you. Thank you for that. I think you mentioned this on the, on the first question, Eddie, but I would like to to probably emphasize your answer here. So how do you best gauge if one investor is successful in terms of performance? Do you have to beat inflation, perhaps a local index as a benchmark? Uh, yeah, um, we, we must emphasize this. And uh, to me, at times, it's surprising that... Uh, the current benchmark or the most popular or what appears to be the more important benchmark is still used by many investors. No? But then we should remember no, that if the investment objective is to achieve a positive investment return, I think the better, the better gauge, uh, as mentioned, is uh, the higher of inflation or yields from fixed income securities. No? Simply because uh, it's advisable to avoid uh, using a uh, a poorly performing index as one's uh, benchmark. All right. Hey, this this question is interesting. The next one is interesting because a lot of you know our clients are actually our clients are diverse. A lot of conservative investor and they're they're these aggressive traders. Mm-hmm. And I would like to ask, how much do you utilize technical analysis before buying or selling a stock in your you know, three years of experience? Do you utilize technical analysis? Go ahead, sir. Right, yeah. It, it is interesting and, in fact, very relevant. No? I find that uh, most investors, uh, it is always the case. It, it's always happening. Practically everyone you speak to, your friend and, uh, and other people, no? they they use uh, technical analysis. No? And uh, yes, I, I do. Uh, rather, I use technical analysis also. It's part of my to-do list. I think a to-do list should include trying to know what price most buyers and sellers are willing to buy or sell a stock. No? Um, it's really where supply equals demand. No? I think that's the use of uh, monitoring and watching and figuring out where the price will go in the short term, perhaps. So yes, I use technical analysis to know what users of technical analysis are seeing or incorporating into their decision-making. Yes, uh, technical analysis certainly helps. Got it. So this is our last question. And perhaps a lot of our investors, even traders are interested on your preference at this kind of environment. So to specify the question, do you have any sector picks 
at this kind of market environment? If I were to refer to the stock portfolios where I help, you know, I, I see broadcasting, banking, financial exchange, and data, uh, distillers and vintners, and marine and port uh, stocks. No? In reality, these are not the result of picking or liking these sectors where they belong. It's a result of satisfying my long to-do list, which we uh, elaborated earlier, where we considered the ROICs of each company and selected those companies with high ROIC. Uh, we set aside those companies with low ROICs. It uh, it's quite a limited uh, universe, perhaps, uh, I must admit. But yes, in other words, I don't pick uh, sectors. I pick companies with uh, moats around their incomes uh, to emphasize that. And uh, any company, uh, even if the universe is small, I, I can live with that. That can uh, satisfy our objective of uh, generating positive returns over an acceptable period. And hopefully be the benchmark of higher higher inflation and yields from fixed income securities. All right. So thank you. Thank you, uh, Mr. Juni Banaag. A lot of wisdom shared in a short amount of time. I'm I'm sure our clients or listeners appreciate that. So do you have any last message to our listeners? Yeah, I I feel grateful with this uh, invite, uh, Royce. And uh, the topic of our discussion is uh, very, very interesting, especially in the kind of market that we have. Thanks to First Metro Securities. Uh, You've allowed me to share my thoughts on investing. And I'm actually thrilled at the prospect of investors using what they now know and succeed in their investments. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Juni Banaag. And this has been Roy Seguilar, Department Head of Retail Research in First Metro Securities. As always, in First Metro Securities, it's hashtag your future first. So thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to First Metro Securities Philippine Stock Market Weekly Podcast. Don't forget to follow us to get first dibs on our new episodes. For more up-to-date market news and info, exclusive content, and the opportunity to connect with your fellow Filipino investors and traders, join facebook.com slash groups slash First Metro Sec and be part of the First Metro Sec family. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.